thanks so much for listening. My name's Kieran Howells. I'm the head of content here at HR Grapevine, and you're listening to the HR Grapevine podcast. This week, we are talking about the concept of a progressive talent culture. Let's not mince words. Things are tough. We've been through the pandemic, the effects of which are still impacting the world of work. We've seen a talent crisis that's highly likely affected your business. And we now stand on the precipice of a recession that, if the Bank of England is correct, could last for several years. But what does this mean for you? It means that ensuring that you have the right people in your organisation, that you're hiring for the right skills and retaining your top performers is absolutely imperative. Every decision counts. Luckily for you, I'm joined today by Gillian Ward, the Chief People Officer at Thomas International, who's going to be delving into a huge piece of research that the organisation completed recently with over 900 HR leaders across the globe, entirely focused on this subject. And we're going to be having an open and honest conversation about where we are in the talent market currently, what good recruitment and good retention looks like. And Gillian's also going to be sharing her own experiences too. So I really hope you enjoy this fantastic conversation. Gillian, fantastic to have you with me. Before we dive in, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Karen. Yeah, I'm Gillian Ward. I'm the Chief People Officer at Thomas International, and I've been at Thomas since May 2020. So it started right at the start of the pandemic, which was an interesting challenge. Um, I've been in HR for many, many years, um, since around 1990, so have really sort of grown up with the profession, worked across a number of different industries as well, so um, quite a lot of experience of people and organisations. Fantastic. Well, you're very, very well placed to discuss this uh, interesting issue with me today then, and I will dive in with a question for you. So, First things first, this report that the company's brought out recently, yeah, it had some amazing statistics in there. When I you know, read the top lines, I was quite taken aback by some of them. Um, one of them is that 60% of hires aren't working out. That's quite shocking, especially at the moment, given everything else that's happening uh, in the recruitment market. Uh, is something in recruitment terribly wrong right now and if so what what is that what are we getting so wrong well that percentage would indicate there is something terribly wrong mm-hmm. um i think it's i i think from from my own perspective if you think about it from a people team perspective um recruitment teams are often under so much pressure to get candidates in and over the line very quickly particularly in a competitive market and we're usually under pressure from from the line as well um and i think you know to be perfectly honest i think that we sometimes compromise on quality or we skip over concerns that we may have um that if the candidate's technical skills are right for that specific job or their experiences 
is relevant, um, then we might think, okay, well, that's all right. It, it will be okay. And, and compound all of that with a very competitive market. We just may make a decision to hire without considering the candidate more broadly, I think, in terms of their potential or how they might thrive or otherwise in our environment and culture. Mm-hmm. I always think experience is an interesting one because I think that just because somebody has experience in a particular job, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're skilled at that job or that they have the soft skills to manage themselves well or indeed that they particularly enjoy their role. So experience can be a bit of a misconception, I think. But we're reassured by it, aren't we? When we look at a when we look at a candidate, that you think, okay, they've got experience in that. They must be a good fit. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's the it's the top expectation in every job spec that you'll ever read, won't it? That we are asking mm. for experience. And I guess what you're saying is that we are we're looking at the immediacy of the situation we're in, and we're almost blinded by that. Um, and we're not looking kind of forwards into the future and what that candidate will look like in two months time or you know two years time or 10 years time so what impact do you think that's really having on the business and I, I guess it's making the job of a HR practitioner much much harder isn't it yeah so much harder I mean HR teams people don't want to be seen or viewed as a blocker in an organisation. And sometimes we can be, can't we? You know, you hear, well, it's the HR team, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. And so I think that, you know, our desire is to partner closely with the hiring manager, resolve their problem, and get the great new hire in as soon as possible. As I've said previously, when you couple that with the pressure that you're under from the line and the competitive market, you can see where it goes wrong. But we know, as HR professionals, we know the consequence of that wrong hire will come back at at us, at our team, um, very soon in Mm -hmm. terms of managing an early exit or a performance management issue and and then a rehire. So you go back to, to the starting point again. So it really is a costly and false economy, isn't it, in terms Mm -hmm. of hard cash and time and also PR from an an employer branding point of view it doesn't reflect well on you if you have a high turnover of newly recruited hires it doesn't reflect well and then of course you've not got you know how it impacts the team that that person's joined and productivity and, and all of that so investing some more time I think in those early days of recruitment, even in a competitive market, and being really, really confident about the person you're hiring, or being quite accepting of the fact that you may be hiring for potential or for talent, then I think that we could begin to see different results. Yeah, and some of the, you know, just to kind of put this into the context for our listeners, this was some of the other really, really shocking statistics found in the research. Uh, you know, 79% of HR professionals are feeling like they're under immense pressure from their business to hire faster. And even more, 81% are under pressure to get their recruits to peak productivity faster. So it's almost like we're we're churning through this process, but actually it could be doing, as you say, so much more detrimental damage 
than taking a step back and considering the process. Yeah, and thinking more broadly about the process and about what what an organisation needs from its employees and, you know, and what the fit's like. The 81% under pressure to get their recruits to peak productivity, that's that's an enormous pressure and burden to bear, isn't it, as well, mm-hmm. through the onboarding process. And I think actually onboarding, it's, it's sort of a, a slight aside, really. But again, we tend to rush through onboarding because we're so keen to get somebody up to productivity. We go straight into giving people tasks to do. They get on with their job. They're immediately up and running. Whereas actually, if we did, if we had some, we gave them some more time and space to really learn about the organisation before we got them stuck in and doing doing the role, the productivity gain will be much more sustained Mm -hmm. and, and longer term. And there's this sort of, again, this sort of false premise that, right, I'll I'll get this person to do this, 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 and this, and then they're up to full productivity. But it just doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be just a more considered approach as we're recruiting and as we're onboarding as well. Mm -hmm. And this need for speed is really not helping us. Well, let's go further down that route then and say, what does a really, truly robust long-term mindset look like? And what should we actually be looking for in our candidates? Because as you said, the the ambiguous and broad term of experience is not actually a very useful one. I think that organisations today, and this is different from when I started out in, in HR and um, through my career, really, but, you know, probably in the last five years, I would say, where we're moving to is a much greater need for agility and flexibility from from our workforce. And I don't mean flexibility as in, um, you know, remote working or hybrid working or reduced. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about flexibility of mindset and acceptance of of moving around an organisation. So I think what I mean is that we need to think more broadly as we hire, that for some roles there'll be obvious technical skills but there are many roles where we could recruit for potential so okay if you don't entirely map with the often impossibly long skills and experience requirements we list in a person spec or a job description but we see a candidate that has the fundamentals or the potential to grow into a role then we should be quite excited by that candidate as opposed mm-hmm. to thinking well they're not ticking this box and 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 that box and then once you've got somebody into an organization to give people if we're giving people more opportunity in an organization to move around and contribute to different roles and different teams let's take a, an hr practitioner for example we think of our skill set, if we applied our skills of stakeholder management or understanding people and culture or how we work with data and apply those in different contexts, for example, in a strategy team or product development, think how we could grow as individuals from that, about learning about the experience from another perspective, but also what we could bring to, to that other team. So I suppose it's 
less about pigeonholing people mm. into a role. You know, I'm head of HR and I, that's where I stay and that's my boundary, but more about how we apply skills in, in different contexts. And I think organisations are going to increasingly need that agility from their workforce in order to respond to the ever-changing context that we're in. Mm. I don't think that now that we stay in, in one career or one job role throughout our working life, I think that will be very different now. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, you know, I love that term that you use, kind of pigeonholing people. Even for someone who's not that senior in their company at the moment, the position that they're hired to do, it may not be what they end up doing six months down the line. And if we look at candidates so much more as, as you know, more complex, whole package yeah. human beings. They're you know, not we... a job description, are yes. they? They're yes. not mm-hmm. person spec. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've got, a, you know, I, I've always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with job descriptions anyway. I mean, I think they're, they're useful to a point, but actually we need to get into describing the outcomes of a job, don't we, as opposed mm-hmm. to the inputs and what we perceive the skills and the attributes are. I think, you know, being less prescriptive around that will help us be more fluid when we're actually hiring and, and we'll be able to adapt our mm-hmm. approach more. But therein, Gillian, is the problem, I think. Uh, you know, another really scary stat from the research was that three quarters of businesses recognise that they have less than two years to change their approach to talent before they suffer serious consequences. Now, that I would say is a is a, a conservative estimate, given that, you know, the pace at which the world is moving currently. So to take a step back, it takes being quite a bold change leader within your organisation to to do that. If time really is running out to revise that whole thought process behind talent attraction and retention, that's quite disturbing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, we're able to change, aren't we? I mean, that you know, the pandemic, if you think about when we went into the first lockdowns in March 2020, mm-hmm. and... You know, before then, we were having so many conversations about hybrid working, flexible working, what what would could be possible, and all of that. The the pandemic forced a change, didn't it? Far quicker than anybody had anticipated, and organisations were able to cope with that and to to deal with that. And I think it's it's similar here that there is a you know, the proverbial burning platform in terms of organisations are not going to have the the talent that they need if they keep the same approach that they have done for, you know, the last however many years. We're going to have to change it. We're going to, you know, and, and the other angle is that employees want it to be different. So they are going to the organisations where they feel that they're going to have space to grow and develop and they're not going to be pigeonholed. They're going to be looking for the organisations where there is some flexibility and they will experience different things. So I think that the pressure is going to come from the need to win talent into the organisation. The fact that we need to be able to do more with with less we can't be over resourced and employees are are wanting 
more from their from their work they want to get more opportunities and this sort of really flexible agile thinking about focusing on soft skills and potential rather than matching the job description or demonstrating experience i think is is just a natural progression in the workplace now mm-hmm. um, i really do agility it's one of those kind of buzz terms isn't it that we that we hear all the time but actually if you are still operating right now if you got through the last few years you definitely have agility in your organization especially if you're a good hr practitioner because and resilience and resilience <laughs> exactly yeah yeah because you you've got through haven't you you've you've made it so mm. i guess you need to just be cognizant of applying that again but seeing it as less of a sprint but a marathon right mm. there, there, there's time to iterate and get it right but i think the time to start is now mm-hmm. and we can see the recruitment market is changing again isn't it from where we were even a few months ago when we were talking about the great resignation and we're talking about quiet quitting and all of these sort of different terms and concepts that in 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 the changing workplace today but ultimately every organization wants to have really amazing people working for them and they want to be able to attract the best because that's the only way that's how they're going to grow and survive as an organization so yeah i mean we we need to crack on with it i think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and of course one of the other terms that we've already used multiple times within this conversation is soft skills it's Mm -hmm. it's one that most people will be pretty up to date with probably but in case they aren't what what are soft skills what does it mean to hire for soft skills and why do you think that they really are that fundamental to the future of talent Oh, they they really are. I mean, soft skills are far better indicator of success in a role than somebody's experience or the technical skills that they might um, they might have. I mean, we can train up technical skills or we can fill in gaps, can't we? Quite quite easily. But the soft skills are around are about how someone approaches their work and their ability to plan and organise themselves. But it's also about how they build successful relationships and their Mm -hmm. ability to adapt and be resilient around change as well. And that's where the agility comes into it. And if you think about it, we've probably all met the employee who has great technical skills, but the person leaves a trail of carnage behind them in terms of conflict or complaints and unhappy relationships. Mm -hmm. And they use that sort of get out of jail card. Well, that's just me. I can't change. And essentially not being accountable for the impact that they have on have on others so whilst technically they may be really strong and on one level doing a great job the fact is that tolerating that attitude in an organization is is quite it's dysfunctional and creates toxicity that is damaging in the longer term however valuable those technical skills might be but I, I realize that's a more extreme example but what we're talking about here is you know those those soft skills that really 
help somebody approach their work well and positively and they are able to manage themselves and other people successfully. And also those are the skills that are really transferable to other roles and other contexts, less so than the technical skills. So I think, you know, that's it's those soft skills that enable us to be more transferable, agile and flexible. Mm-hmm. I, do you know, it's really interesting the way you just described the opposite of soft skills right there, because I often think about soft skills through the context of the whole organisation and and what, what having a, a very kind of agile, soft skill focused workforce looks like. But actually, it's really interesting to hear you zoom in on what that means for the relationships with those around them and the culture, um, uh, the way that someone who actually does have that, you know, well, this is me attitude Mm -hmm. affects those around them. It's quite powerful, actually. And I guess that's one way in in which it it may detrimentally affect retention to, to have people who are very, very rigid around you. Yeah, with absolutely, without a doubt. And it's, it's and and usually those types of personalities have some sort of informal power or influence in it, or, or they might be it depends where they are in the hierarchy. It doesn't really matter because they usually have some sort of a power around them. And I think it it really does, as I say, create dysfunction. Whereas you know the, the soft skills, if you are assertive and you're able to manage yourself well and present yourself well and influence other people positively, it it just goes so far to getting things done. Even if you don't have the technical knowledge in a particular role, you'll be able to do do it through other people who have got that, that, that skill because you're building relationships with them. I really hope that sort of, well, that's just me I can't change is going to begin to phase out in organizations because I just don't think there is a place for it in today's workforce yeah that makes total sense it it, it does seem like the future can't have those kind of barriers to a to a really learning centric agile centric uh, culture the other thing that has a huge impact on retention is the role of the manager what does it mean to manage soft skills or a soft skills focused workforce? What does that actually look like? And also perhaps what does this mean for organisational culture as well? I think it's really important that we keep focused on training and developing soft skills in organisations and invest in you know, even with all the budget constraints that as we go into 2023, and I'm sure training budgets will be affected, etc. But investing in soft skills development and enhancement as much as we can, and in in the most creative ways we can. For the line manager, for me, it's about the line manager really knowing the individuals in their team and that seems so obvious but many managers I've observed over the years tend to manage in in one way in their preferred way of being but if they deeply understand each of their team members and and then they understand the overall 
team dynamic if you're bringing all of those profiles together if you like and you really and as a manager you really understand what motivates the individual how they prefer to be communicated with to get the best results how do you run a more effective one-to-one that works for that person as opposed to for the manager and the more a manager can adapt their style to to suit the the behavioral preferences of the team member they will get the best results from them and mm-hmm. it, you know this sort of one size fits all just doesn't work in teams now it is really understanding what makes each individual tick what motivates them how they prefer to be managed and you can see the the results that that yields it's it's a really positive impact Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I, I was having a great conversation with someone recently where they said something really interesting to me about performance management. They said, throw your ideas of performance management out the window. A manager who is just having regular check-ins with their Absolutely. people, regular conversation, they're succeeding, right? Yeah, they're succeeding. And and if they know if they know the people in their teams and they're adapting their style, they're having regular check-ins. Performance management is a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. I could probably, you know, absolutely go down that rabbit hole. But I think, you know, I think that person's right. I think it is about the relationships that you've got, understanding who it is that you're dealing with, having those check-ins. And some people need those check-ins to be quite formalized and they want to know, okay, what do I need to do next week or whatever. Other people just want to have a conversation. So it's just, you know, again, as a manager, being really comfortable, being agile around how you manage your the individuals in your team as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously, we've talked a little bit about what you know the impending situation that a lot of businesses face and uh, and the and the negative consequences of perhaps not appreciating what a pivot that you probably should be making in your organization unless you're already doing some of the things that we've already discussed but to look to the future the recession is going to hit a lot of businesses extremely hard the next few years are going to be quite hard how do you think that this will change the talent dynamic? And in your opinion, can business, what can businesses do to bolster themselves through this time to make sure that they're getting through and succeeding and, and you know, laying the right groundwork to come out of the other side? Yeah, and I think I think you're right by saying that the right groundwork, because this is an opportunity, isn't it, to to build some really strong foundations for when we do come out, then, you know, the business is, the business is really ready to fly. I think, I, I think the recruitment market is going to be quite interesting in that empl- employees may be less inclined to risk changing roles. So that yeah. market may well steady. I think we've probably been seeing some of that already, but there'll still be a demand for talent. I think that the demand for potential and for the the highly skilled talent will still exist. But I think that from Thomas's perspective, I've been encouraging managers to think beyond that pers- perfect job description and person spec to think about potential when hiring and understand really deeply understand who you're hiring and and don't compromise think about what they're going to bring and think about as well 
how you might need to support them to be successful in the organization. But I'd also say stay focused on development, even in times of budget constraints. It's important to invest time and resources into developing soft skills. And I said earlier, there's so many creative ways to deliver learning and development opportunities that don't cost the earth, but Mm -hmm. still have have an impact. Um, I'd also say encouraging your managers to invest their time into understanding those who report into them and how the teams work together. Again, assessments help you do that, but then for that manager to adapt their style to get the best out of individuals. But I also think this is another great, you know, you talk about the foundations, but this is another great opportunity to really make sure you've got processes defined around career pathways, for example. Can you create really compelling career paths for individuals within your organisation? Be really creative about what opportunities are open to them during this period of when things might be slightly more contracted and restricted. Mm -hmm. So creating options and an opportunity for them within the organisation, facilitating movement and internal mobility, trying to recruit internally first, I think is always a really positive message. During this time, you can really help your employees see a compelling future and a reason to stay with you and to stay engaged and motivated at the organization and it's really up to it's up to all of us as, as HR practitioners and as leaders as well in an organization to help build and, and describe that compelling future that people want to stay with even when times are quite hard. Mm-hmm. There's been so much takeaway I think from this conversation for our audience so Gillian thank you so much for your time. No, you're welcome. Well, that was a really fantastic conversation. I sincerely hope you found that as fascinating as I did. And I'd like to thank Gillian for her time. And to our friends at Thomas International for providing us with the chance to talk over their amazing research. Obviously, the first step in making your organisation an exemplar is being informed. So that's why we've added a link just below this podcast to the Thomas International research we were referencing. So go ahead and check that out. For now, however, it's goodbye from me and we'll see you again next week. Thanks so much. Thanks.